Would you join me in turning to John chapter 1, the Gospel of John chapter 1? Over the last uh, springtime, I don't know, a number of different uh, services that we've been looking at the issue of evangelism and talking about evangelism. And now we're going to go to, to really what is the next step or the next thing that uh, complements evangelism, and that is discipleship. As I talked about and probably mentioned a couple of times during the series on evangelism, Jesus doesn't just want believers, he wants followers. And those followers were called in the, in the Old and New Testament periods disciples, which literally means in, uh, in the Hebrew learners, learners. And we're all called to be disciples. And not only to be disciples, but Jesus commands us in the Great Commission to not only be disciples, but to go and make disciples. So what does that look like? We're going to spend this summer talking a little bit about that. And I'm going to start with one who I kind of consider the first disciple of Jesus, even though he doesn't make the discipleship list. And that's John the Baptist. Now, John the Apostle, don't get him confused with John the Baptist, who's writing this gospel in the, the first 18 verses gives us a description of who Jesus was in his own unique way, in a way that actually spoke to both Jews and Greeks uh, from their own culture, calling him the Word and the Creator and the Light. But he, in the midst of that, a couple of times makes some comments about John the Baptist as well. For example, in John 1, verses 6 through 8, he says, There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, Jesus, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. And then in verse 15, a parenthetical comment, John testified concerning him. He cried out, saying, This is the one I spoke about when I said, He who comes after me has surpassed me, because he was before me. And I want to pick it up at verse 19, and we'll read through the end of the chapter, because it's largely about John and his handing off of disciples to Jesus and the call of the early early disciples. So verse 19 of John 1. Now this was John's testimony when the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was. He did not fail to confess, but confessed freely, I am not the Messiah. They asked him, then who are you? Are you Elijah? He said, I'm not. Are you the prophet? He answered, no. Finally, they said, who are you? Give us an answer to take back to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? John replied in the words of Isaiah the prophet, I am the voice of one calling in the wilderness. Make straight the way for the Lord. Now the Pharisees who had been sent questioned him, Why then do you baptize if you're not the Messiah, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? I baptize with water, John replied, but among you stands one you do not know. He's the one who comes after me, the straps of whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie. This all happened at Bethany on the other side of the Jordan where John was baptizing. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I meant when I said, A man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water 
was that he might be revealed to Israel. Then John gave this testimony. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. And I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain on is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I've seen and I testified that this is God's chosen one. The next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, Look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them and and asked, What do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying, and they spent that day with him. It was about four in the afternoon. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, We have found the Messiah, that is, the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which when translated is Peter, which when translated is rock. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, Follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, We found the one who Moses wrote about in the law, about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth? Can anything good come from there? Nathanael asked. Come and see, said Philip. When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said of him, Here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. How do you know me? Nathanael asked. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus said, You believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree. You will see greater things than that. Then he added, Very truly I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Include our reading at that point. Would you join me in prayer? Holy Spirit, as you came upon John the Baptist in his testifying of Jesus, as you came upon those disciples that decided to stop following John and start following Jesus and the other disciples whom Jesus called, as you came upon John the Apostle to write these words and to to give them to us in a way that is inspired by you and completely truthful. Now we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would inspire these words to us, that you would help us to understand what it means to be disciples and to be disciple-makers. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Early in the 20th century, a London newspaper carried an advertisement that read, Men wanted for hazardous Darkness and constant danger. Safe return, doubtful. Honor and recognition in case of success. The ad, signed by famous Arctic explorer Sir Ernest Shackleton, brought inquiries from thousands of men. Commenting on this in his book, Be Faithful, Warren Wearsby writes, If Jesus Christ had advertised for workers... The announcement might have read something like this. 
men and women wanted for a difficult task of helping to build my church. You'll often be misunderstood, even by those working with you. You'll face constant attack from an invisible enemy. You may not see the results of your labor, and your full reward will not come till after all your work has been completed. It may cost you your home, your ambitions, even your life. So, so how did Jesus get people to sign on for this kingdom task? How does that recruitment continue long after Jesus walked the earth? Well, that's what we're going to be looking at over the course of this summer as we look at the issue of discipleship. Now, the title of this sermon, Growing Disciples into Disciple Makers, also has been, for most of my ministry, my personal vision statement. The idea that each disciple of Jesus Christ should be growing into a person that reaches out and makes more disciples. And those disciples then reach out and make more disciples, and, and so on and on it goes, and that has been what has happened since these original disciples up until now. But of course, it's always a generation away from extinction. And so we're going to ask ourselves about our role in discipleship and in being disciple-makers. But how do we do it? Well, let's look at Jesus, the original disciple-maker, and how he did it, and we'll learn some things not only about what it means to be disciples, but also what it means to be disciple-makers. And it starts with John the Baptist, who was essentially Jesus' first disciple and disciple-maker. And John seemed to know that discipling and disciple-making meant three things, to prepare, point, and pass. To prepare, point, and pass. Now, we read already in, in uh, John 1, verses 6 through 8, that it, uh, about John's role to testify to the coming Messiah. But his teaching was causing some to ask, are you the Messiah? And John clarifies that his is a preparatory function. Two things mainly, creating hunger for the Messiah. Now, he had help in this. The Roman occupation of the land of Israel had, had people anxiously longing for the Messiah that God had promised. But also, the fact that some of the, some of the Pharisees, not all of them, but a minority of Pharisees had decided that the way to get God to come back was to be very legalistic about keeping the law. Very legalistic, not just about keeping God's law, but about keeping all of their commentary and all of their interpretations of the law as well. And that legalistic religion was also causing a hunger among people because as Jesus him, himself said to the Pharisees once, you tie heavy loads and place them on men's shoulders and do nothing to help them. This, you're, you're throwing legalistic uh, uh, expectations on these people, and you're not showing them how to live that out. And so that was also creating a hunger for Messiah to come and step in. And, uh, and so that was part of it, creating hunger for the Messiah. But the second part is calling people to repent. John's theme was repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Later, Jesus took that on as his theme. And when he meant it, he, he, he meant it's here. And then he later called his disciples and made that their theme as well. Repent, 
In John's case, it's repent and be prepared to encounter God. It's a challenge to a new life and a new lifestyle. So first, first job was to prepare. Then it was secondly to point. One day John says, there he is, and he, he points to Jesus. And he reveals his identity. He's the Messiah for whom people were eagerly looking for to bring about God's kingdom. He was the Lamb of God and Savior who takes away sins and changes lives. They didn't quite understand this part of Jesus, perhaps, at this point. And then thirdly, he's the Son of God, and that was probably a completely new idea uh, for them that they didn't understand yet. But then John also passed his own disciples onto Jesus. Because the following day, John says, there he is again, and this time two disciples left John to follow Jesus. And many others would follow. And when John was later asked about Jesus gaining John's own disciples, he says in John 3, 27 to 30, a man can receive only what is given him from heaven. You yourselves can testify that I said, I am not the Christ, but am sent ahead of him. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine, and it's now complete. He must become greater. I must become less. Well, we all need to be like that, like John. We need to be disciple-makers like John to prepare people by our prayers for them, our conversations with them, showing them a new way of life, to point to Jesus, the one who makes these, this new life possible, and to pass them on to Jesus and the church. Because remember, when Jesus said, go and make disciples, he didn't say, okay, and then build up a nice stable of disciples that follow you. He said, no, raise disciples, baptizing them. That was interest, entrance into the church and teaching them to obey everything God had commanded you. And so ultimately, like John those we disciple, we pass on to the church to be part of the church and to be part of that learning and ultimately to grow into disciple-makers as well. But how do we get to that point? Well, one good way is to start where Jesus did. From Jesus' first disciples, we learn that he calls all types of people. The first two disciples really had no plan. They just had some sort of hope, and so they started following Jesus. And, and he said, what do you want? And they said, well, basically, they said, can we tag along? And Jesus said, come and see. Come and see. And he invited them to, to come and, and see Jesus for who he was. And challenge, they were challenged to reconsider their own lives and their own potential in light of Jesus' person and power. Maybe they would never have thought of themselves as, as being teachers and leaders. And, uh, and yet, as Jesus came and, and spent time with them, that became their call, that became their mission. So think about some of these guys. First, there's Andrew. He was one of those two disciples of John. Andrew was shy, retiring, always in his brother's shadow. And you notice, even when we're introduced to him, he is introduced as Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. We hadn't even been introduced to Simon Peter yet. And already as Andrew is, is talked about in terms of being in his brother's shadow. 
Andrew was attracted enough by John's pointing to dare approach Jesus, and then he was convinced enough by what he saw that he risked approaching his hard-headed brother Simon with his discovery. Well, Simon Peter was an impulsive, presumptuous, take-charge kind of guy. He was an emotional roller coaster, anything but stable. But Jesus says, I'm going to call you Rocky because you're going to be a rock. You're going to be a rock of stability. And Peter gradually lived up to that name. Philip always kind of seemed a little slow on the uptake. When Jesus, before feeding the 5,000, asked him to get bread, he misses Jesus' point and does the math. It'd take eight months' wages. When Jesus said, I am the way, no one comes to the Father but me, but by me. I and the Father are one. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Philip says, well, Lord, just show us the Father. And yet here he instinctively picks up on Jesus' phrase, Come and see. And when Nathanael questions what good could come from Nazareth, Philip responds with Jesus' words, come and see. Come and see. Now, Nathanael was, like doubting Thomas later, a skeptic. He jokes about anyone who comes from the hick town of Nazareth. But Jesus provides convincing truth, and Nathanael is the very first disciple to call Jesus God. You are the Son of God. Jesus' first disciples then teach us that anybody can be a disciple, regardless of background, regardless of of personality, whether introverted or impulsive, uh, slow or skeptical. Anyone can encounter Jesus and his power and be challenged to reconsider their own lives. And that's true of us. And it's also true of those around us that we might be tempted to write off and say, no, they can never do anything. They can never be anything. Um, Undoubtedly, some of these disciples of Jesus might have been considered that by others, but not by Jesus. So how does Jesus work to make this transition in people's lives? A number of years ago, Bill Hull wrote a book called Jesus Christ Disciple Maker, and and in it he notes that there's four phases of Jesus' disciple making, and we're going to use uh, his his four phases over the course of the summer. And so this morning we look at the first phase, and you may have already uh, grasped what that was, come and see, come and see, that's phase one. Andrew and the other disciple ask, maybe for lack of anything else they can come up with, uh, where do you live? And Jesus says, come and see where I live. But maybe he's actually saying, come and see how I live. He was willing to satisfy their curiosity without any premature call to commitment. He basically says, hang out with me and see if you like it. He doesn't use manipulation or intimidation. He makes it easy to say no, but he simply shows them what a life of following him offers and entails, the benefits and the drawbacks. And we would do well to learn from Jesus. 
Making disciples is not about notches in our belt or gems in our crown. It's about helping people see Jesus and the difference he can make in their lives. And a good way to do so is to say, hang out with me and see if you like the Christian life. And see if you like this Jesus that I'm introducing you to. But he doesn't stop with come and see. He goes on to you shall see. In, in commenting on Nathaniel's sudden faith because of what he has seen, Jesus responds, well, you ain't seen nothing yet. And over the next several months, their eyes would gradually be open to a new vision. In his miracle at the wedding at Cana, which would enhance their faith, and his anger at the false religion he saw going on in the temple, in the call to decision of a Pharisee by the name of Nicodemus, in the encounter with a Samaritan woman breaking traditions and reaching a wider group of people, and we've just got to John 4. You ain't seen nothing yet. And you could say that the Christian life is a you-ain't-seen-nothing-yet adventure. Even for disciples like these, Kent Hughes says, we all know the story. Wavering, inconsistent Simon became Peter, the rock. John and James became Bonerges, sons of thunder, dynamic apostles. Anonymous average Andrew became the patron saint of three nations. Thomas the skeptic became a tenacious man of faith. Simon the radical, subversive zealot became a man truly zealous for God. Loathsome Levi became the writer of the gospel of the Son of Man. So before we continue on in this series, I might just have the question, just what is a disciple? And there's a lot of scripture about that. We read Psalm 1 earlier that gives us kind of the, the opening uh, of wisdom literature and, and its description of a disciple. But let me suggest four things we learned from these passages and we'll continue to see expressed throughout Scripture. What is a disciple? Disciples are chosen to spend time with Jesus and encounter the power of God. To spend time with Jesus. Disciples are challenged to reconsider themselves and their potential in light of Jesus' person and power. Jesus may be calling you to do something that you never thought you would do or have been resisting, like me being a preacher. He causes us to reconsider ourselves in light of his person and power. Third, disciples are moved to become disciple-makers because they've discovered the good news and can't keep it to themselves. And fourth, disciples are committed to point to Christ and deflect attention away from themselves. Does that describe you? Does that describe me? Are we disciples? And are we, as disciples, not only growing, but growing so that we can be disciple-makers ourselves? Disciple-makers maybe of our children, our grandchildren, our great-grandchildren, or maybe people we met at the ice cream social, or people next door, or people at our job, or people at our school. Are we disciples growing into disciple-makers? Let's pray. Father God, we come to you saying that we've 
want, want to worship you, but we also want to be more than believers. We want to be followers. We want to be disciples of Jesus. And we pray that you would, Holy Spirit, encourage us and empower us to do that, that you would break down any mental barriers we have uh, to doing that or any other barriers that might come in our way in order to be what you've called us to be. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. When we come into relationship with Jesus, we make some promises. Let's be reminded of those as we sing together, O Jesus, I have promised. It's number 352, if you're following along and lift up your hearts. Number 352, let's stand and sing the four stanzas. Thank you.